0: This podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. Yeah. from the 1980s and, to now. And this show is where you arrive at the end of the time tunnel? I get it. Yes. Yeah. But like, right it's we like we be. took the 80s with
1: us somehow.
2: Mm-hmm. We
1: experienced the 80s and now we're just here. We skipped all the shitty decades in between. <laughs> <laughs> right? Hey, welcome back to another episode of 1980s. Now, I'm trying to, I'm thinking of something another way to say it. 1980s now, a weekly, I'll try this out. A weekly Ooh. celebration of 1980s pop culture
2: Oh, my name is
1: Will, so and joining amazing. me as always are my friends. <laughs> John, I, I, I just, I don't know what John's faces are, but the great thing about John is he's probably a terrible poker player because everything's out there. He just had a face like, yeah, hey, if you want to go with that, that's fine. <laughs> but I'll still call him my friend. <laughs> Kat and John are my friends and co-hosts. So, hey, wow.
0: I, no? I wasn't aware how conditional it was. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. I don't think you're aware of how I'm my just face watching it to- was. Like, to maintain friendship. What's he gonna do now? watching you like a hawk. See, I get interpreted. John's
3: gonna start hiding behind his his mic.
0: (laughs) I need a bigger mic.
1: (laughs) And of course, be sure to check out John on his full-time job uh, hosting Gen X Grown Up. Oh, thank you. Hey, on today's show, like every other show, first we're gonna chat about current news stories related to 1980s media. And then later on, we're gonna uh, speak with our very special guest today, Professor Richard Hanley, he's a uh, professor of mm-hmm. philosophy over at the uh, University of Delaware We're going to talk to him about whether and how, I guess, 1980s films affirm the possibility of time travel in our real lives here today.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Look,, we've talked about this briefly. I love time travel films because I love the yeah. idea of time travel being possible in our actual world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and that's almost like a loop, like Richard talks about in some of his papers. This idea that which came first, that I love time travel and therefore I love time travel films. Or maybe I love time travel films, therefore I love time travel. Uh, mm-hmm. Which came first? Anyway, <laughs> so we're going uh, to use real... Same as it
0: ever was.
1: right. Same
2: as it ever was. That's, right. Same was. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. <laughs> But hey,
1: but don't worry. We're going to use films like Back to the Future and Bill and Ted to talk about this in the context that we can understand. Because we're just lay people. Right, regular folks. Uh, look, I studied philosophy yes. in college. And, you know, I was a philosophy major. I, I, maybe I got a B minus. I mean, that's my did, average. I don't know.
0: I wasn't a stellar student. Did any of it stick?
1: Eh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I only did this because my parents forbade me from, from majoring in anything artistic because they wanted me to study something practical. So I showed them.
3: So you got them. Yeah, I got a philosophy degree. (laughs)
1: Uh, There's time codes in the show notes if you want to skip around. All right, hey, a couple of announcements. One, Facebook trivia is this Wednesday. Join us for, how do I say this again, Kat? Wednesday. Wivia
3: Wednesday.
1: Wivia Wednesday, June 29th at 9 p.m. just sounds
0: like baby talk.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Wivia Wednesday. You wascally wabbit.
0: do you want some trivia? Does him.
3: Hey. You're making fun of Elmer Fudd there, Uh, I think.
0: (laughs) You're making fun of parents, I think, with children.
1: (laughs) Anyway, join us June 29th, uh, this uh, Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern for 1980s Trivia on Facebook Live. We're going to give somebody a $50 e-gift card, the person who knows the most about 1980s trivia and answers the questions the fastest, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, follow us on Facebook 1980s now to find out how to do that. And also this week on Facebook Live, and I should say, we do these, however, on our partner, our network sponsors page, the 80s ruled, but I don't want to confuse anybody. So just go to our page. You'll, you'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. but that's the wonderful sponsors that uh, gives us a platform for doing this, but also along those lines, Facebook live on Saturday, July 2nd, also this week, 9 PM Eastern, we're going to be chatting with Julie Brown, the actor, comedian, writer, director, producer. She created earth girls are easy. She wrote and sang homecoming queen and, uh, mm-hmm. cause I'm a blonde um Mm -hmm. anyway you can Mm -hmm. come show up ask her questions give her comments we're going to share them with her right there live and you get to see her reaction right there and if she's like mark holton who we just spoke to a few days ago i mean he really engaged with people it was really kind of fantastic Mm -hmm. a sweet guy was just really talking directly to folks
3: yes 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 he
1: was does john know i'm staring at him is that what's going on yeah john's trying to give nothing away (laughs) all right hey with that said with now knowing that john's not going to
0: Participate?
1: No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, let's get caught up on nineteen. Just keeps beating me down. No,
0: happy! Oh, happy birthday! Leave him way.
3: alone on his um, birthday. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: just, happy birthday, asshole!
1: <laughs> so, do you guys subscribe to the theory that you should be treated special on your birthday? Um, I,
0: I, I should always no. be treated special. Right. That's the right answer. Yes.
3: When I had teenagers, I learned I shouldn't feel that way anymore.
0: No
1: expectations when you have kids. Did you? No. Hey, in 1980s news this week, as reported by the Military Times, not everyone has that love and feeling for Top Gun. (laughs) So look, Top Gun Maverick uh, continues to break barriers. Um, the the uh, Paramount film, the sequel to the original 1986 Top Gun, which was fine. That movie was fine. Maverick, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, it soared past $900 million in ticket sales. And it's on its way to be a $1 billion box office extravaganza.
2: Mm-hmm. Awesome.
1: And looking at those numbers, you'd think, well, look, everybody in the world has not only seen it, but probably seen it multiple times and loves it. Well, that's not true. Not everybody's a fan because a movie reviewer on Letterboxed. I don't know what that is, but a uh, named <laughs> Brett, I don't know who he is. Mm. He was not only not impressed by the sequel, but he gave it one and a half stars and then spent the time necessary to write seven hundred words about how terrible the movie is.
3: No, you're you're being too generous. He gave it a half star.
0: Oh my god, what did I of say? A star. We did one and a half, but he said a half, one yeah. and a
3: half. Half a star. Well, I can identify with how the movie must feel about this. Because I got a one star, star review one time. Oh, that's yeah, well, you got a bad <laughs> oh. review. <laughs> being silly about the movie, yeah. I got a one star review, I felt really misunderstood, yeah. and I feel like that's what's going on here. <laughs> is this reviewer
0: is really misunderstanding I don't think Top Gun Maverick movie? is shedding any tears over Brett's yeah. opinions. <laughs> nope,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. I even look, I'm even uh, uh reluctant to make Brett uh, give him any time at all, but it, this is just funny mm. because it's, even this is some of the yeah. stuff he criticizes about, it's just so I, I don't know. Dumb.
3: Yeah, he misses the point. <laughs> he really misses the point.
0: <laughs> like he just caught on. Yes. With this film that sometimes the military cooperates with filmmakers for mm-hmm. a subsidy right. in order to get their propaganda in there. Right. Is it Maverick's fault? Is it the first time it happened? Right. This dude is just a troll, an ignorant troll at that, that's just figuring out things about films for the first time and tries mm-hmm. to lump it all on Maverick. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Dumb. what John's alluding to is one of the criticisms Brett had was that. Apparently noticing that the film might be military propaganda, which is something that other folks are more, uh, say, informed,
0: Mm. aware,
1: Mm. more informed and and well-known than Brett have written about Mm -hmm. this topic. In fact, when we spoke to Jeremy Smith just a few weeks ago, talking about films of 1982, how they made the blockbuster, we were uh, talking about Maverick and Top Gun in 86. And he was saying how it makes him uncomfortable that it's, you know, that way. But yeah, okay, duh. (laughs) <laughs> you want to use our jets? You, you know, we got to make sure you don't uh, make the U.S. military look bad. Okay, that's fine. But he also exactly. says that Top Gun is a, a, this is just, I mean, every every line you can just be like, no. Top Gun Maverick is, this is what Brett wrote. Top Gun Maverick is a movie where our heroes are trying to start World War III. No. No. no It's not a mm-hmm. goal. They're trying to no. do no. something, but not that. No. <laughs> the U.S. military is selecting pilots for a bombing run over an Iranian nuclear facility. No. No. <laughs> In no time is the country named. That's one of these things about these films in the eighties and today.
0: He implies that you can deduce it by process of elimination based Mm -hmm. on who has enriched uranium available. I'm like, okay, Sherlock. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Overanalyze. Go ahead. (laughs) And and the thing that, you know, really loses me is not only does he say, okay, look, I figured this out. Let's, let's just, just just say, let's give that to him. Okay. Yeah. It's Iran. Okay. You got them.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But he goes on to point out as he says, this is the exact opposite of what happened in real life. Real life? What does that have to do
0: with anything?
3: Exactly. A film.
0: <laughs> uh, it's a story. You can't put, you can't put lies in fiction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as the Military Times
1: points out, they said that while he does make some some points, uh, you figure that a person has watched over 1,500 movies and written more than 650 reviews would be able to remove himself from the current international political climate for two hours and watch a film about an old guy flying cool planes and running shirtless on a beach for no reason.
0: And look, the reality is (laughs) I'm sure Brett didn't hate the movie this much. Whenever I see someone way outside the sample, Mm. Right, like everybody loves it, everybody loves it, everybody loves it. And one guy is like, Total rubbish, that's a troll who's like, I'm gonna get letterboxed in my name, Brett, out in the media. Look, we're talking about uh, it, yeah. We played right yeah. into oh, his that's hand, true. Yes, shut up, Brett. <laughs> Take your review, Whoa, stick it up got- your nose with a rubber hose. No more for Brett, you're right. Okay, screw Brett. Yeah. All right. Hey,
1: another nice thing hey. yeah, <laughs> he's throwing a bunch of sitcom uh, insults at him. Well, mostly from happy days, right. What you talking about, Will? Did we get up your nose with a rubber hose? You got that one already?
0: I did that. Did yeah, already. I did that already. All right. yeah. Hey, another 1980s I knew, I knew.
1: news as reported by Ultimate Classic Rock. Ann Wilson recalls Hart's, quote, soul-crushing mm-hmm. 80s success. This kind of bummed me out. Yeah. Because, you know, look, Hart had, I don't know, at least five or six different hits, top 10 hits in the 1980s mm-hmm. uh, that were very different than her 1970s sound. But uh, look, I, to be honest with you, I think I liked their 1970s music better. Mm-hmm. I love Barracuda, Magic Man, mm-hmm. some of my favorite songs of that era.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: although those songs were penned by Ann and her sister, Nancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the 1980s, as Ann explains, she said that Capitol Records told them that, quote, look, you had some success in the 70s, but your stuff isn't really what people want to hear now. Uh, to not take that personally was huge. It knocked me, mm-hmm. knocked the wind out of me for a few years as a writer. That type of stuff mm-hmm. is so wounding, so, so crushing,
2: "Quote," mm-hmm.
1: She goes on to talk about how she feels uncomfortable that the fact that she had hits in the eighties was based on her taking this, as she says, Faustian bargain with these record companies to perform music of other people in order to get hits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It worked. I mean, they got hits, but you know, she feels like she uh, lost some of herself in in that.
0: I don't know how I feel about that. I, I I guess the only part of that that really rings true to me is that it hurt the writer in her. Yeah. Right. Because Mm -hmm. she still was successful. Mm-hmm. Financially, popularity-wise, recogni- recognition. And, you know, I try to put that into my little universe, right? So right. I do a weekly podcast. And if someone suggests a topic and that mm-hmm. topic does better than the topic I had planned, am I upset because I do am I more upset that it wasn't my idea or I'm excited mm. that it was resonated with people? It was still yeah. my voice. Mm-hmm. It was still mm-hmm. my performance that people mm-hmm. like. It just wasn't my idea and my, you know, so I guess it's, yeah. it's hard to yeah. be yeah. sympathetic with that, but I, yeah, I, I like all the hearts music.
1: I think to yeah, use yeah. your metaphor, John, I think, because I think that th- not only was, so for example, the song alone, we talked about this on a, uh, is, this a, is this a cover song uh, back on several episodes ago? One of those secret mm-hmm. covers you didn't realize were clever. The Hart mm-hmm. song alone is actually a cover.
2: Um, mm-hmm.
1: It was actually uh, recorded, written and recorded uh, by a group named I-10 in 1983. Actually, John mm-hmm. Stamos did a cover of it before Hart did for some CBS TV show. Um, mm-hmm. But a- in any case, my point was going to be that not only, though, did they just merely take the words You know, I think her, her issue is that they had them use since that they wouldn't otherwise use. The orchestration Uh. was different. The instrumentation was different. Like, I think to use your metaphor, it'd be like, you know, yeah, you get to say the words, but let's change everything. Mm -hmm. Other aspect too, you know?
3: Gotcha. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe. T- taking your creative hand more okay. out I, of
0: things. I can yeah. see that. I, and I have a little more, like maybe someone else is going to edit it. Maybe someone else yeah. is going to structure it, right? So Different theme yeah. song it,
1: now all of a sudden. It,
0: <laughs> it, if the thing you're looking for is getting your creativity seen, yeah, then yeah. that certainly wouldn't scratch that itch. So I, I can see maybe from that angle where she's coming from. Yeah. In yeah.
1: addition to Alone, they had a number of other hits. What About Love, These Dreams, Who Will You Run To, and a song named Never, which I'm not familiar with, but was the one uh, song that they actually wrote themselves.
3: You're not familiar with that? Isn't that the one? Uh, I don't know if I can sing it.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to. I, haven't, I don't know which one it is at all. Oh, I, I
3: can't sound like them. Never, uh, never, mind. Yeah, never mind. Never mind is what it is. <laughs> never, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> mind.
1: Never mind. Hi, another 19, well, if you remember it. it, you just, you just break in. We'll do <laughs> I'll a just news first alert. in. this We'll song. do a news <laughs> alert. What was that, John? <laughs> okay. I said, just chime in. I just chime in. Anytime you got it. Hey, another 1980s news. Look, box office numbers from week to week are in flux, right? But usually mm-hmm. uh, they do not, you know, they, what they predict is going to be the top 10 films of a partic- any given weekend don't usually include a film that only ran once that weekend
2: <laughs> and was and from
1: decades earlier. Right. (laughs) So, uh, you know, everyone that tried to anticipate who would be the, you know, again, the the big films of the uh, box office on the weekend ending in June, on Sunday, June 19th, failed to account for the behemoth that it turns out that 1982's The Thing is. Mm -hmm. Because, in fact, this film that was uh, run in the 730 theaters by, uh, in connection with the Fathom Events presentation. You've seen those commercials Mm -hmm. when you go to the movie theater. Uh, it it wound up uh, earning them about $500,000 in the box office for that weekend and landing them in ninth, the ninth position of the top 10 films for that weekend.
0: I love this story.
3: Right. Yeah. How does that compare proportionally? It was just like one screening, right?
2: Yeah. One screening, 730 one theaters. Yeah.
3: And, and $500,000. So I, I don't know how to fit that in. You know, how does it compare with, I don't know what you mean. Um, you know, like oh, like how Maverick one screening was, of something else was being shown. How many times? Oh, oh, that day? oh gotcha. Yeah. And is it is that a big number for just? Yeah, one
1: I see what you're saying. On yeah, I guess day. we'd have to to try to. I guess we'd have to do some mm-hmm. math and research to figure it out. But Maverick was probably easily yeah. playing on 1,200 or more screens. I would say. Right. And
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, my local theater where I saw it, I don't know. Was there a dozen show times in one of the theaters? Like another dozen? And I mean, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah but, throughout the day, but obviously, as we mentioned earlier, they they're on the already a
0: billion dollars. So, yes, <laughs>
1: uh, and course, the reason yeah.
0: I love this is is twofold. First, yeah. it tells me that going to the theater is not dead right. because right you can watch the thing. Yeah any way you want, right? Mm -hmm. You can rent it, you can stream it, you can buy it, you can ask your cousin, he's probably got it in his truck. Everybody has a copy of the thing or two laying around that you could watch without going to the theater and buying tickets. Mm -hmm. But people did in droves. And the other thing I love about this is it, it suggests that, hey, These older films have a market back in the theater. It's not just something to do during COVID when there are no films, Mm, which is why mm -hmm. this started. Interesting. Mm -hmm. But rather, hey, it's the anniversary of Ghostbusters. Let's have a marathon in the theater because even Mm -hmm. though there are a thousand ways to watch Ghostbusters, there's a draw for people to go to the theater to sit communally and enjoy something together. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's the that message to me is so uplifting as far as theatrical presentations go.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you remind me, John, my
1: family and I mm-hmm. did that actually when they, they did rerun Ghostbusters a few years ago like this. I don't know if it was a right? event or a local thing, but mm-hmm. we, as many times as we've seen it, we went out and sat in the theater watch watched it. it. Was sure the kid's yep. first time seeing it in the theater. Oh, i was oh, so exciting to be there. Oh, yeah. well, that's awesome that they could do I've that. I've
0: probably yeah. seen the Blues Brothers a hundred times, yep. but when it's in the theater locally, yep. I'll go and see it yep. just because it's the Blues Brothers. Yep. And, and I never saw it in the theater originally, and I've only seen it secondarily like this. Yep. And it's uh-huh. it's a cool way to see it. Yeah, yep. that's great.
1: That's now, awesome. We, we also recently talked about the the thing with Jeremy Smith when we talked about 1982 blockbusters, because mm-hmm. it's one of those mm-hmm. films that was came out in the summer of 82. It actually came out two weeks after E.T., And I was surprised to read that it landed at number two behind E.T. and taking about half the box office of the Spielberg film, but- Mm Knowing that it wasn't as beloved then as it is now, I was surprised it even mm. had done that well.
0: Well, I think E.T. was probably taking the wind out of everybody's oh, yeah. sails. <laughs> so prob- the distance between one and two was probably not trivial. <laughs> yeah, so, I guess
1: what I'm surprised right. is that they were even number two. Because I don't know the timing-wise, mm-hmm. but I mean, you had, you know, Blade Runner was out at this time. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot more around, the, I got you. Yeah, there was yeah. a bunch of other films.
2: Mm-hmm. That,
1: you know, again, we look back on fondly mm-hmm. now at the time. Uh, we know they were struggling with like Blade Runner. Nobody, I don't think they yeah, were. Yeah. Um, but in a, uh, I guess you know, to your point, folks are going to the theater for because they love films and film, and these films in particular, maybe is not without consequence. Because then you get a bunch of folks here who are really uh, cinephiles, and were many of them were disappointed to go to the theater and realize that the film wasn't being shown in its full aspect ratio. Mm. So the actually the showing on June nineteenth would actually been cropped instead of being shown in uh, two three five one which is like, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the largest formats you could film it. It was shown in one eight five one,
0: which is like, it's like (laughs) Panavision or something. One eight five one is a pure 16 by nine ratio made for televisions with no uh, letterboxing, Right. right? So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So this, yeah, right. It's Panavision. So it's, it's that bigger. And Mm -hmm. uh, you got, look, a bunch of folks got up in arms, including a podcast host and, and director Mick Garris, who said that it's distressing. It's horrible. Uh, He said he would never see a fathom screening again, encouraged his thousands of followers to do the same.
0: Oh my (laughs) goodness. Uh, So no room for correction, apparently. One and you're done, apparently, with this guy. What if they say, you know, mea culpa and they fix it? Nope, sorry, hate you. Yeah,
1: no, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, John, they they actually did respond and say we are sorry. There you go. And uh, when they showed it again that Wednesday, because they already had a second showing planned for the following Wednesday after June 19th, which was just a few days ago, they oh, actually was that showed planned? it. Okay. Yeah, it was planned, but yeah. what they made okay. sure was they showed it in its full aspect ratio and and in four K where theaters had four K.
2: Yeah.
3: I asked a, a friend who saw it on Sunday yeah. if it was uh, if she noticed any yeah uh, inferior quality, and she said no. She said for her it was mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. And she's a cinephile, so I don't was yeah. this. Everywhere that there was a problem, or just in certain locations? Hmm. I wasn't clear on that. I
0: think Fathom is actually streamed out live over satellite. Okay. So it probably okay. was the same transmission.
3: So it was probably uh, the same for everybody. She I didn't think
0: our, mention any our old director and podcast host, Mick Garris, isn't allowed to see it anymore because he already <laughs> said he hates them. So, yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, John's right. There's, there's uh, two different ways that uh, Fathom delivers it. One of them is through satellites where they beam it into you, basically these theaters. Okay. And another way is that they, <laughs> they are able to. I don't know if it's through a through a satellite also, but then they that store it locally sense. so they could have more data at okay. the time and mm-hmm. then show at whatever time they want to show it. Um, gotcha. Anyway, this the first one used the bad one. This the second mm-hmm. screening used the good version the good at all after this. Mm-hmm. but uh, this uh, also this uh, presentation which again uh, Garris described as being in soft focus low resolution and with an image that was out of registration which means that you could see the colors sort of separated oh. into blue and red
0: components
3: almost like 3D yeah. without the glasses <laughs> right yeah. and if you had the glasses mm-hmm. it wouldn't
0: make a difference
2: right <laughs>
0: probably have to chalk that up to the projectionist though because the mm-hmm. data coming in it would have been that way everywhere had it been mm-hmm. truly yeah. in the signal that way right Yeah. Well, this didn't go unnoticed by the filmmaker himself, uh, John
1: Carpenter, who told
0: IndieWire
1: that it was distressing. It's horrible. Uh, The producer of the uh, film, uh, Stuart Cohen, said it's always been about the big screen and the biggest screen imaginable. It's particularly galling after the film unceremoniously left theaters 40 years ago. For it to return to being to the big screen to be played
0: at one point eight five, which John called a bastard ratio. You gotta (laughs) wonder with John Carpenter, though. I mean, I I get what he's saying. He's an auteur, right? So he's Mm -hmm. he's the creator of this. But isn't is there any offset for the fact that your forty year old film? saw a delightful resurgence in the theater at the box office. It hit the top 10 to be able to go, well, yeah, but there's no cool whip on it with a cherry. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't perfect, but somebody's paying attention to this film again.
2: I think that's,
0: yeah. In in his his
1: defense, he, in the article, he also talks about how he has had to make peace with the fact that he made the film. And since Mm -hmm. then, Mm-hmm. T- television studio or television uh, networks, etc., can do whatever they want with it. He said it used to drive him crazy ah. that he you know tune in on TV and see it cropped. Okay,
0: well, at least so. it wasn't pan and scan, yeah. right? Pan it wasn't and four by three ratio, <laughs> <laughs> right? Where no, you can only see half yeah. of the spider. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> oh
1: no! Uh, but with regard to the uh, the fix that uh, Fathom ultimately made, uh, Carpenter said, "quote I'm happy that people want the thing to be presented at a
0: minimum and at a minimum, man." In the way we made it, I'm delighted by that. A lot of people mad because something is good. Yeah. And that's just relax. <laughs> relax, fanboy. Um, actually, it was 2.35 to one. <laughs> relax, Brett. All right, point It's like, hey, enjoy get, your film. Put that measuring tape down. My my family's trying to see the movie, you asshole. <laughs> I think the ratio is off. Let me check it. Is that future Robert? <laughs> future yeah, Robert. There he is again. He's it's back. Just, He's time-traveled here. I think so.
1: I think he is. Hey, in other 1980s news, once again, it's time to play...
0: In Philadelphia, it's worth 50
2: bucks.
1: All right. All right, we're going to do this in a Price is Right Right, to Showdown formula here, John. It requires no uh, knowledge of trivia or anything. I've got two (laughs) items that recently went on the auction block, and I'm going to ask you guys to bid closest without going over. gets that item in a fantasy way,
0: because I don't really have them, okay? In the multiverse. Closest without going over. So yeah, this is see. the Price is Right bidding war? Okay. Yes,
1: this Price is mm-hmm. Right bidding war. All right, let's see who gets mm-hmm. to who gets to choose the showcase showdown. Uh, <laughs> one dollar. Flip my coin here. <laughs> Cat call heads loody or tails? Loody loody
3: loody loody. Okay. Heads.
1: All right, it's tails. All right, John, you get to decide which item you're going to bid on. I'm going to tell you okay. about the two items. The first item, item number one, the iconic cover to The Dark Knight Returns number one you know, by Frank, uh, artist Frank Miller and colorist Lynn Varley sold at auction just a couple of weekends ago. So if you're not familiar, uh, this is a comic book that was originally published in 1985. It's, a. Uh, mm. if you've seen the cover, uh, I mean, I imagine you've seen the cover. Maybe you've never read the mm-hmm. book, but it's very iconic, a silhouette of uh, Batman sort of leaping and a lightning bolt going off behind him, sort of making his silhouette just solid black. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's a story which is not part of the DC's main continuity of Batman. It takes place in a dystopian future where Batman, who has been long since retired, is forced to come out of retirement. Mm-hmm. It is said to influence the likes of Tim Burton, for example, when he, he did the Batman, you know, sort of how dark mm-hmm. it is. Anyway, here is your description, so you know what you're bidding on here. As described by the Heritage, Heritage Auction, it's ink over mm-hmm. graphite on Bristol board with airbrush color work, image size 12 by 18 inches, signed by both artists as F.M., LV in the lower center. A few visible surface scuffs and finger bends, otherwise in excellent condition.
0: <laughs> All right, item number okay, two. So this you is could the dip- original artwork. Yes. Thing, right, this is the original art you're talking about. Yes, not okay, so a print. They
1: okay. made this 12 by 18 original piece, and obviously that mm-hmm. was turned into the cover of the of the, of the graphic novel. Yeah. All right, item number two. Just a few days ago, a Star Wars X-Wing fighter model created by Industrial Light and & Magic and used by George Lucas in his 1977 sci-fi epic, some might say uh, space opera. it sold at auction as well. The model is extraordinarily rare as most were destroyed by pyrotechnics mm. while filming the movie's climactic battle at the Death Star. <laughs> as described by the auction house prop store, the X-Wing fighter model is preserved extremely well and remains in excellent condition. The lightweight rigid foam remains solid and the original unrestored paintwork is in excellent condition with only subtle flaking in small areas. John, which item
0: would you like to bid on? Oh boy. Hmm. Well, I think probably the yeah. original artwork Batman covers. Okay. Yes.
1: All right. <laughs> well, we oh, know no. John's it's not a, as much of a Star Wars it, fan. That's so <laughs> bad news for me. No, well, she's a maker Star Trek Star I'm Wars fan the, than you are. I wanted are. the Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yep. All right. What is your uh, bid, John? Original artwork. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go $57,000. Okay.
1: Closest without going over. Okay. Kat, that leaves you to bid on the X-Wing. Actually, screen used X-Wing that they've authenticated. What is Mm -hmm. your bid for the... uh, Mm -hmm. I would love to have that too. I
2: don't
1: care.
2: (laughs) It looks pretty sizable
1: too. I don't have um, have a size for you, but it looks...
3: I'm going to say... I feel like this would be really valuable. (laughs) Mm Um. $1. I'm gonna say a million.
2: A million <laughs> no dollars.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Feels high. All right. Feels high. All right. Here you go. The uh the mm-hmm. item number one, the Batman, uh, the Dark Knight Returns uh, original artwork for the cover of that of that graphic novel. It was the mm-hmm. uh highest amount ever paid for a original piece of Batman art. The previous oh, no. record was six hundred thousand dollars. I'm a little low. <laughs> this piece sold for $2.4 million. Holy crap. Wow. Uh, I don't know the wow, math, wow. but you're off wow. by $2.3 million in some change. Yeah. yeah. The uh, the Star Wars wow. X-Wing fighter model was estimated to go for $500,000 to $1 million. Oh, oh. At auction, oh. the final price was $2.375
0: million. <laughs> Catch the winner! <word. laughs> We were both off by more than, 000, 000. Yeah. But yeah. By more than a million dollars. But you were closer by a million dollars.
3: Yeah, when he said the actual sell you know, sale price yeah. of the X Wing, I thought yeah. I still might have
1: lost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, in a sense you both lost because you still get nothing. <laughs> All right. Hey, that <laughs> was nineteen eighties <1980's> news. <laughs> we win
3: for fun.
1: Hey, do me a favor before you listen to the rest of the show, which is going to be really cool because we're going to bring out our guests in just a moment here. Like, r- mm. subscribe, rate, review, follow. Take a moment and do it now. Seriously. <laughs> now, there's got to be some kind of time travel thing we could do, John. Maybe if you pause it, I mean, that's kind of a sense of time travel. You'd be yeah. freezing us in time. right? Yeah.
0: You would, right, because time continues to pass for us. We're not even aware that you paused yeah. it. So yeah. we have no knowledge of right. the time travel you will impose upon us.
3: It's an extra it's set of us.
1: Yeah. Now, if you forget mm-hmm. to do it now, travel mm-hmm. back to this moment, time codes below, and then <laughs> like and rate and review it then. You can do that too. <laughs> and we're going to assume that you've already done it. And that's why, we, as we're watching now in the present, right. we're getting so mm-hmm. many likes and rates, reviews, follows, etc. Oh, yes. Hey, in a moment, we'll be right back with our guest, philosophy professor Richard Handley. I came here in a time machine that you invented. Now I need your help to get back to the year 19... 19-
2: 1980 1980
1: Now Our guest today pioneered the field of philosophy and popular culture with research that examines unconventional topics like artificial intelligence, and time travel in the context of the films and TV shows we love. In addition to being an associate professor of philosophy at the University of Delaware, our guest has authored books including South Park and Philosophy and The Metaphysics of Star Trek. Today, he'll use some of our favorite time travel movies from the 1980s to help us understand whether and how time travel is possible. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Richard Hanley. Hi. We're so thrilled that you could join us uh, for so many reasons, Uh, not the least of which is that we're big fans of time travel generally. Uh, I think my interest Mm -hmm. in time travel predates, I'm going to say my love of almost any other genre, but (laughs) it's possible. I mean, if you ask me what genre of film that I would, you know, regardless of, uh, what country, what era the, the work came mm-hmm. out in. Uh, it, it's time travel. I'm there. Let's check it out. It could be a, you know, a B movie, an A movie, student film. I'm there.
4: Yeah, I'm the same. My- <laughs> it's the genre.
0: If it's a time travel movie, I'm going to watch yeah. it, period.
4: My earliest memory of television, because I we grew up in Africa, we didn't have television. But when we moved to Australia, um, I remember the, the be- very beginnings of Doctor Who. That's my clearest oh, memory of nice. early television. Yeah. Tele- but, yeah.
1: That didn't uh-huh, even uh-huh. occur to me, that Doctor Who would be probably mine too. We got it on a, a UHF channel in, in a, where I grew up on the East Coast there, you know. I remember my dad and I would find, we found that and Monty Python, you know, on a UHF yes. channel.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: BBC yep. program, Right. So, hey, look, we're fascinated by time travel. And again, not only from the, because uh, the representations of it in fiction, But as humans, as you know, we're fascinated with it because there are many times in our lives where we wish we had this ability to go back and make a left when we made a right. And Mm -hmm. in our fantasies, it's consequence free. Yes. (laughs) Uh, It's only in these films that we've learned over the years that there are certain challenges to, you know, simply going back and, you know, maybe uh, not dating the prom queen. Or, or dating the prom queen, or or whatever. I don't know. Right? Did I just reveal something about myself? I, I don't know. I don't mean I didn't. Yes, mean, I didn't yes. mean
4: to. The, the, the biggest challenge of all is that you you can't change what happened. That's the that's the biggest challenge. Oh, I'm bumped so, out already. Okay. <laughs> oh
1: no. Yeah. Well, uh, a uh, sort of a preliminary I guess question, I guess, because you're you know you're a, a doc, you you your PhD is in philosophy, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So knowing that uh, certainly when you read these different articles in scientific journals, magazines, etc., usually have physicists talking about the possibility of actual time travel. What business does a philosopher have talking about time travel?
4: (laughs) Right. It's it's a fair question. And indeed, um, you know, most people don't know what philosophy is and what philosophers do. And if if they have any idea, they think of it as, you know, somebody sits underneath a tree and, you know, just <laughs> <laughs> makes yeah. right? shit up. Am, am I allowed to say shit? Is yes. That- <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, you <laughs> Okay, all right. <laughs> so, um, it, so it's this sort of, you know, guru, you know, mystical kind of model of, of stuff. Um, the, the kind of philosophy that I do and my colleagues do, is it couldn't be further from that. In fact, amongst mm-hmm. the humanities, we're the closest to the scientists. Uh, mm. So, um, what what we're interested, you know, the, the but we still have to separate out uh, questions that are physical questions. So, a physical mm-hmm. question would be. Uh, do we occupy a universe that in fact permits time travel, right? That's, that's a question for physicists. Sure. Um, but asking what kind of universes could permit time travel, that's a metaphysical question. That's a philosophical question, right? So, um, so, so that's, one, that's one big chunk of the, the stuff that we do in philosophy of time travel. Uh, The other main thing is I I can illustrate this with a story, right? So um, you've all heard of Stephen Hawking, I'm sure. In 1987, Hawking wrote A Brief History of Time, and in that he proposed the chronology protection conjecture, which he said would be, you know, the the conjecture was that there would be a law of physics that prevented anybody traveling to the past, right? Mm. Now, by 2011, he's given up that idea. Um, and he thinks that in the quantum foam, there are, in fact, small uh, wormholes that are time machines, right? They, that's just what the math predicts. And, but he says in his 2011 paper, oh, but don't worry, you know, these wormholes are way too tiny for a human being to pass through, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Now, notice what he's doing there. He's making an assumption about what essentially human beings are. And that's Hmm. not a question for physicists. That's a question for philosophers. And I Mm -hmm. think Hawking is dead wrong about that. (laughs) I think that. uh, (laughs) Take
0: that, Stephen. Now
1: I'm hopeful again. (laughs) All right, we're going to time travel before the end of this episode. (laughs) so maybe we already did and you just don't know it will (laughs) so look based on our love of pop culture and your love of pop culture you have generously offered to speak to us in the language that we can understand which is the films of the (laughs) 1980s including some of our favorites that feature time travel and in discussing Mm -hmm. those films it's our hope to learn what is possible or, or not and uh what sort of challenges are raised by time travel that are represented in these films okay so uh and the first film you suggested, and, oh, look, you couldn't pick a better one than this, right? Back to the Future. It's got <laughs> future and back in the title. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> now, and, and it's, I,
4: it's an yep. awesome film. Yep. I can remember mm-hmm. going to see it in Sydney with my older brother when he came to visit me. We went especially mm-hmm. to go to the theatre and see it. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, this. It's it's great in every way except philosophically. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh. oh no! It's garbage.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Like Back to the Future, at least the conceit of it, or or the the premise of the f- story itself. He doesn't go back to right or wrong initially. He goes mm-hmm. back accidentally. He goes right. back to yes. escape the uh, whatever countries wants their plutonium. Uh, who, who are we? Be- Syrians. Syrians. Okay. Right. Syrians. One of the plutonium from Doc Brown. Right, there you oh, go. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Unlike other stories, it is curious that it starts off with him not trying to change, affect time at all, but of course right. being forced to because he winds, he winds up undoing something. Uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, he's worried
4: yeah. that he has changed the past because right. um, his basically, his mom falls for him, right?
2: Yeah. oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> yeah.
4: So, um, now... Uh, you know, there's all sorts of ways that the story could have gone from there. But um, you know, in a consistent story, it would have been true that his mom was falling for him, but you know, he managed to deflect her or whatever it was, and you know, push her in the direction of his dad instead. Right. Right? <laughs> but it's it's difficult to understand what people have in mind when they say, oh, I wish I had a time machine and I could go and correct things, right? But mm-hmm. maybe one thing that they have in mind is that they think, oh, so, you know, 1955 or whatever it was came and went and no time travellers, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's sometime in the future, 1980, somebody invents time travel. So right. now someone gets in a time machine and goes back to 1955 and they're imagining, mm-hmm. oh, now it's different because there's a time traveller there. But if it really was our 1955, then the time traveller was mm-hmm. there in 1955. <laughs> and whatever know. they did, yes. <laughs> they did not, you know, change the past. And so what we have to do is distinguish between affecting the past because mm-hmm. if you're there in 1955, then you can't help but, uh, but affect things. You, you know, at a minimum, you take up space and block light and, you know, do all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So you're definitely causally embedded in the in the local environment. And so whatever it was that you did in 1955, you already did in 1955. Yeah. It's just in your personal future, even though it's in the external part.
1: Why does it mm-hmm. physically hurt to think about some of these things, right? Can you guys feel <laughs> that? It's like, oh, it feels like a muscle that's not properly stretched
0: my, my <laughs> temples are throbbing like you I know. went to the brain gym. It feels yeah. great.
1: <laughs>
0: so is this a is this a it version
1: and so is what happens, you know, if he if you really if you really initially at least, kept his mother from falling from his father. Is that a version of what we think of as the grandfather paradox?
4: Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they definitely are gesturing towards the grandfather paradox because you can be mm-hmm. thinking, oh, now he's in danger of not existing, right? So this mm-hmm. would be exactly the point where his photographs would start to fade. <laughs> and right. all that right. mm-hmm. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. totally silly. There's no plausible causal sequence <laughs> by means at which that would happen. Um you know, and you think, well, if his photographs fade, does he yeah. start fading? You know, it's... Yeah. That oh part of that. yeah, <laughs> so, well he, he does. He does out there <laughs> he just a bit.
0: Yeah, when he was trying to play Johnny right, B. Good, that wasn't yep. working out well. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
4: So if it's really true, if what history records is the truth that in fact his dad was who he thought he was, yeah. right? Then, um, you know whatever happens he's not going to uh you know he might threaten his own existence but something's going to happen that assures his own existence because mm-hmm. there he is mm-hmm. he exists you know yeah. as i say it could have gone in different directions it could have turned out that unbeknown to him he was in fact his own father that would have been fun right
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes you know and yes. something you pointed out was you know obviously in the film he succeeds yes and getting them together, but he winds mm-hmm. up changing a number of other things that by the time he arrives in the quote future. And I say that for, I think a reason for something we'll talk about in just a moment. Mm-hmm. Things are different. Now he's not different, right? Everything else is different. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you point out that this film raises a, another, you say largely unrecognized problem, this physical question about identity. Right. Can you explain?
4: Yeah, sure, sure. So the physics literature has gone in a lot of different directions. And, and by physics literature, I'm including kind of popular physics here, you know, people who like to shoot shit about this right, kind of yeah. stuff. So they kind <laughs> of started where Hawking was and saying, no, just time travel is impossible because it's all too messy. <laughs> then a couple of physicists said, well, maybe contradictions can be true, but not many people went down that road. So instead what people started to say was, well, you know, Hawking was worried about free will if you can't change the past. Well, the way to have free will and to change the past is to, um, is to postulate a multiverse, right? So there are more than mm-hmm. one timeline. So, so mm-hmm. you know, if Marty does change things, well, then the timeline that he comes back to is not the same timeline as the one that he left, yeah. right?
0: right? But it may be one in which he's happier, right? <laughs> right,
4: right. <laughs> now that's fine as far as it goes, but the the identity problem that uh, that uh, that I um, discuss here yeah. is that um, the the exact same reasons for thinking that it must be a different timeline, namely different things happen, uh, give you a reason for thinking that they must be different people on those different mm-hmm. timelines, right? right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they they do different things, they have different properties, and so on and so on.
2: Yeah,
4: right. Yeah. So. So if that's true, then, then the family that Marty comes back to is not, in fact, right. his own family. Yeah. They're just kind right. of creepy doppelgangers of his own family, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, so, um, and so if that's right, then it looks like the main motivation that people have for time travel, oh, I could go back and fix things. Well, no, you just end up with a creepy doppelganger. And yeah. sort
1: of the, uh, I guess the flip side of that, or maybe, maybe it's just consistent with what you're saying. I saw someone do this analysis on YouTube some time ago, suggesting that Marty is now going to be living in a nightmare because the Marty at the end of back to the future, because everyone thinks he's someone else. And mm. he did not have the experiences with all these people he's with that they had with, you know, quote him, with their Marty. Right. Yeah.
4: And of course the other thing that they don't address is even if you try to impose the multiverse interpretation on back to the future, well then where's the Marty from that timeline? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't he still be there? Right. So, you know, right. it's this evil twin that turns up from another timeline. Right.
1: Well, then that's mm-hmm. actually interesting though, too, because if you remember in back to the future Two, doc does explain it as if it's a multi, almost like a multiverse.
4: Yeah.
3: Okay, where the, mm-hmm. he
1: at least says the timeline sort of splits off into this other dark timeline, and right. they have to back down that one to the original one, and then that'll eliminate that one. But even <laughs> in that one, he doesn't run into himself necessarily. That's right.
4: Yeah. When I do my time travel classes, I spend quite a bit of time talking about the weird causal mechanisms that turn up. and And just yep. my advice generally, is that if a story needs weird causation like this, you know, people's... Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have seen Looper, that more modern movie. Yes. you know, it's just, yep. just crazy causal yeah. sequences in there. You know? Oh, boy. But, you know, <laughs> writing appears in the guy's arm in blood and right, his right, foot right. disappears right. and all that stuff. The they man
0: just, is being dismantled as oh, he's trying yeah. to run. Yeah. Oh,
4: yeah. Oh, so crazy. oh, yeah. so oh, my. Yeah, So my <laughs> advice is always whenever there's very weird causation that's a sign that you're dealing with an incoherent story okay and and so
1: and and by that meaning that it's less representative of what maybe is possible
4: right exactly
0: Mm -hmm. also very cool on screen though (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah um
1: hey let's talk about another 1980s film that again another and this is a fantastic film as well star trek four uh the voyage Mm -hmm. home now you point out that unlike back to the future this is a as you describe it, a consistent single timeline story. What do you mean by that?
4: I mean that um, there's absolutely no changing of past or future in here. It's just they take a journey back into the past and they did what they did in the past. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's just no fiddling with anything really. Right. So I, I think that's a completely consistent story.
0: I never thought of it that way. Yeah, John. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm, uh, by the way, I'm going to call you Doc Hanley because it sounds so cool and it's like Doc (laughs) Brown. Anyway, uh, so, so Doc, but you're right. I love the fact that in Star Trek four, they do not go back to change anything, but they do go back to harvest something and bring it back to their present. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, of course you could bring back knowledge, but they go, they go to spoiler alert to bring back whales. (laughs) Yeah. They bring back whales. Yeah.
4: And that's how the whales are regenerated, right?
0: Yeah, so doesn't that change the present, or is that
4: just no, no? As you said, no, that's always how it's a gap been. When there are no whales, <laughs> but they bring so, them back from the past, right? They go and gotcha, and, and it's right. always been like
0: that. Therefore, no change happens, so it's consistent. Yeah, yeah. oh my brain. <laughs> ah.
4: Right. Oh. <laughs> See, the the one fun thing in there that that really messes with your brain is that is the transparent aluminum sequence, mm. right? Computer, mm. <laughs> so, right. So Star Trek has this crazy temporal prime directive, right, which, again, right. makes no mm-hmm. sense at all. But, um, I mean, well, you can make a charitable sense. It's, it's basically behave like you would normally and don't, you know, try to mess things up when you're, when you're mm-hmm. you know, when, with the locals. That's fine. Right. I don't mind somebody <laughs> having that kind of approach. But then what happens is that they need, you know, because you, you probably remember, John, if you're a Star Trek nerd, um uh, by the way, I am too. I wrote a book about Star Trek, so,
2: <laughs>
4: so um so the, the issue was that uh the whole thing would be too heavy for the uh yeah. the Klingon warbird that they were going to transport things. <laughs> right. Yep. And so so they're sitting back there, you know, thinking in the twentieth century, if only we had transparent aluminum, then we had problems <laughs> solved. So what uh-huh. Scotty does is he gives the formula for transparent aluminum to uh, to the locals, the <laughs> local engineers, and they they trick up the the war the way they need it so that they mm-hmm. can pleat the thing right,
0: mm-hmm. and yep. so they can uh, load in uh, George and Gracie, and it's hit, it's light enough they can travel. Yeah, yes.
4: <laughs> right. But the fantastic thing is that the implication is that no one actually discovers and invents transparent aluminum, right? Mm-hmm. because yeah. Scotty got the recipe, you know, the, the formula from okay. it from the past history of the development, you know, the, the implementation of transparent aluminum and then he takes mm-hmm. that formula back to give it to the guy. Now, again, that's completely consistent but raises an issue of what I call an information loop, right? You have, mm-hmm. um, you have information that's not discovered and developed in the normal way. It's yeah. just right. copied to itself. And is so in a loop. Oh, I so it has time. no real
0: origin. Is that right. what you are saying? Right. Like it, yeah. it was never actually original thought.
4: No. Uh, well, it depends how you say that. It, right. uh, what That's I prefer true. to say is it comes from itself. Right.
2: <laughs> this is. Okay,
1: this is. Let me just Yay. talk philosopher, philosopher for a second here. <laughs> this is like a cosmological problem, right? This idea that, but you are suggesting that. No, I guess it's the same idea that you, you keep going back to figure out where something came from. Well, something had to be the first cause. But that makes it a loop, but mm-hmm. this, I, uh, I don't, I don't think I did. Well, well, this I, is
4: a case where there is, it's a causal loop, right? So, yeah. so, so it's, it's the their development of the technology in the past that um, eventually causes Scotty's knowledge of the formula. Mm-hmm. And then he, is the one who gave them the formula in the first place. So right. it just goes around in a loop. And and what I've argued in my work is that there's nothing impossible about such loops. They they're strange, but they're not impossible. Um hmm. they're not even physically impossible. They just require certain sorts of coincidence to occur. Yeah,
1: you know, I guess that makes me again think of <laughs> cosmology or teleology. The idea that You know, some people would say that a certain thing couldn't, must have been created because look of how interesting and complicated this is. Mm -hmm.
4: Well, that's where coincidence comes in. It's a coincidence that it actually works, right? I
1: think of that example (laughs) in in, in school, right, right, where you're taught this idea of the the pocket watch on a beach.
4: Oh, you're talking about William Paley's argument, design argument for the existence of God. Yes, he uses the watch analogy.
1: Well, how many coincidences would be needed for all these parts to be right where a watch needs to be to start ticking? I mean, that's... Well,
4: a lot. But coincidence is not impossible and not unphysical, right? Uh, yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. Right. It could so. happen. You're right. However yeah. unlikely.
3: It just makes me think that, like, if somebody just thinks of something, yeah. that's it. Like, poof. Then, then it's in existence. Yeah,
4: yeah. And I mean, you know, the... Mm. You know, suppose Einstein came up with the equals mc squared because of, you know, patterns of raindrops on a window or something like that. Well, that's not <laughs> the normal causal origin. But mm-hmm. but again, we're not going to lose our minds over that and say, well, that, you know, that's just impossible. No, right? So so right. It, uh, information loop, I say, is a case where... Mm. Something doesn't have the sort of causal origin we expect, but that mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Right. That's that.
1: interesting. That's wow. cool. <laughs> um, all right, hey, let's talk about another 1980s film that we love that with time travel in it, The Terminator. Again, you point mm-hmm. out this is a consistent single timeline story, which, I, you know, which strikes me as odd. I can see with the Star Trek thing that you're saying, hey, nobody went back to do anything and didn't really change anything. But isn't that the whole premise of this film, to go back and change something?
4: The whole premise is that Skynet is trying to change the past mm-hmm. right. and uh, John Connor and his gang like, and Kyle Reese are trying to preserve it, right? Right?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And they succeed in preserving the past, but what's cool is that Skynet, um, it's the very act of them trying to prevent the past that helps bring it about, right? It ah, so, nice. ensures it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I see. Right? If, if Skynet hadn't, tried to, you know, send back Terminators, right. then no one would have sent Kyle Reese back to the past and no Kyle Reese, no John <laughs> Connor, right? So.
3: Right. Well, I need to know, how could John Connor exist to send back Kyle Reese? Uh-huh. Like, it's, it's, it's almost as if John Connor is the aluminum, the transparent aluminum. Like, how can he <laughs> oh, exist
4: because well, well, see, Reese, I want to say John Connor exists for just the same sort of reason that you and I do. I know you don't like to think about it, but your parents, you know, and two people love each other. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but, but Kyle Reese wasn't, like, before he went back in time, Right, he was in the future. He yeah, didn't yeah. meet Sarah Connor. Connor, till he was sent back by John Connor. By right. His but son. when did he like, meet
4: her? He met her in the past, thanks which to what uh, happened. Right. Which that had already, already ha- happened. But, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Man. it had already happened in external time, but it hadn't happened in his own personal okay. time.
3: Yet. Right. right. So, yep. I guess what, I'm getting caught up Whatever there. that. Yeah. Means.
1: yeah. <laughs> I, it almost feels to me like, guys, if you remember <laughs> when we were kids, right? They had mm-hmm. that. Uh, Maybe you had this too where you grew up, Richard. There Those, what do they call it in the park? That carousel thing where you'd run and spin and everybody run around. Mm-hmm. and a you merry jump. go
0: round? Yeah. Not a and then merry you go throw round. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you had to hold
1: on for dear yes. life.
2: Yeah. You know that yes. thing? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Yeah.
1: it seems like John Connor's first running around it and eventually he's going to jump on that hold on. Then he's now in that loop. But the movie oh. is like that moment where he's just outside of it before he jumps on. But hearing Richard talk about it,
4: he's already also on I'm, it. I'm a bit worried about the round and around part.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, oh, yes. Uh-oh.
4: Okay. So, so let me just say one, one thing. When I talk about causal loops, sometimes people hear something like that and they go, oh, you mean those events happen again and again and again? No, no. Each right. event on the loop happens exactly once.
0: Okay. Right? Is it just that we ultimately get to experience? A certain character's first knowledge of it being in that that loop, right? Because mm. at one point they don't know they were ever ever there. Yeah. And
4: indeed, in your personal time, you can experience the same event more than once, right? Mm. Like we're going to talk about Bill and Ted, right? When they're outside the Circle K and they mm. first encounter oh, themselves, yes. oh. right? And then <laughs> later on, they they go through the same experience, and they're like, "Oh, that conversation <laughs> made much more that time <laughs> around." Right? That was just that be the same event, but from two different mm. experiential perspectives. That whole event happened exactly once. It's just that in their personal time, they experienced it twice. Right. So, I love it.
0: Wow. Mm. I understood okay. something. I'm so happy. Okay.
4: <laughs> but well, I'm not sure where you're going. I just wanted to be clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that the whole sequence in in yeah. Terminator just happens once. Oh.
1: Thinking about the word, mm-hmm. I guess loop oh. in a sort of colloquial colloquial way or, you know, yeah. layperson's okay. way invokes that sort of, you know, imagery, I guess. Yeah. That's why right. I, mm-hmm. why I, you know, chose a poor metaphor. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Dr. Uh, Doc Hanley. Um, right, hey, let's talk about um, Somewhere in Time again this is a single timeline story I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to confess this is one of my favorite uh, time travel films one of the earliest I remember uh, and I was a big Christopher Reeve fan you know early on Brian. so uh, that's yeah. what drew yeah. me to it originally um, I will confess that I did uh, have a penny uh, tried to. I've had an old penny as a kid and I would try to concentrate to go back in the past spoiler <laughs> alert did. never worked uh, but I tried a number <laughs> of things that. along those lines. Uh, some, of the, that, some things that did work, but that didn't work.
4: See, see, I think the philosophy professor in Somewhere in Time is <laughs> the second dumbest philosophy professor. In <laughs> 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 well,
0: well, wait, wait, that begs the question who the first one is. <laughs>
4: uh, the first one is the character played by Kevin Spacey in The Life of David Gale.
2: Oh okay. Oh. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I don't the remember that. Stupidest. Yeah. Hmm.
4: He so- tries to show yeah. that capital punishment is unjust is unjustified because it's possible that an innocent person be executed, but the way that he gets himself executed Of course, the authorities thought that he did it. Oh, right. Because he made (laughs) everything appear that way, right? Right, yes, right. Oh, my goodness. It's just the dumbest, you know, no system of justice is supposed to be immune from that, right? (laughs) Right. You frame yourself. Anyway. (laughs) So... If you had a time machine and could change the past, yep. you could go back and kill Kevin Spacey. Oh and- no! <laughs> <laughs> and save everybody a whole lot of grief. Yeah, it wouldn't be for that
1: film though. I mean, we, you know, that's not the reason we're going back. <laughs>
2: oh, no. uh,
1: so, I guess you know, ter- terrible time travel mechanism aside. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. What, what makes us somewhere in time or what do we learn from somewhere in time with regard to uh, time Well,
4: trample? it seems to, if, if you take the story at face value, which, yep. I, which I think is the right way to take it, sure. it looks like we have another interesting kind of causal loop here. Mm-hmm. And the, mm-hmm. yep. the, the way the mechanism works, right, when the movie opens, he's getting his first college play, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, performed, and this old lady... Uh, you know, says, come back to me and hands him this watch, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So he, um, it, I think it's eight years until he's on Mackinac Island and sees a picture. Mm-hmm. And, then, you know, there's a mm-hmm. whole, uh, by the way, uh, Mackinac Island Grand Hotel. Beautiful oh, place. Yes. Oh, so, <laughs> yes. It so, looks
1: amazing. <laughs>
4: yeah. Still, <laughs>
1: it still um, looks like that too.
2: Yeah.
4: yeah. yeah. Wow. So he, um gradually becomes obsessed with her, talks to the Mm -hmm. philosophy professor, thinks himself back into the past. And one of the things he takes with him into the past is his 1912 watch.
2: Right.
4: Uh, Mm -hmm. By the way, you know, the Mackinac Hotel existed in 1912, right? Which is Mm -hmm. where he goes back to. And he dresses in clothes that existed in 1912. And the watch (laughs) apparently existed in 1912. But I always watch that and I think, what about the... The sheets on the bed. <laughs> yes! In <laughs> the electric
3: lamps, the reading lamps, and the electric
4: lamps. Apparently, that's not an impediment. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> so, so he thinks himself back to 1912. He's got the watch with him. So ignore the mechanism. Let's suppose that he just successfully time travels back to 1912 right. and takes mm-hmm. the watch with him. Well, when he's back in 1912, he gives the watch to her, mm-hmm. right? Mm hmm. And that's the watch that she then has in her possession until, you know, about 70 years later, right? Yeah, right. right. So, right. Um, so if you just trace the history of the watch, <laughs> right. before 1912, no watch. After, you know, 1980 or whatever it is, no watch,
2: Mm-mm.
4: right? It just mm-hmm. exists for that roughly 70 years mm-hmm. and wow. taken back, mm-hmm. right?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Now, that, that would be a case of what I call an object loop. Mm-hmm. Right, so, so it's not just information that's gone around in a loop. It's actual, you know, if you trace the, the history of the, the watch, it just, you seem to keep going around. You know, so for instance, if you account its age, suppose you thought it was zero years old in 1912. Mm-hmm. Well, then in 19, you know, 72, it's, uh, you know, 60 years old. Um, mm-hmm. well, 1982, I guess it's more like that he takes it back. You'll be 70 years old. Yep. So mm-hmm. that means it's 70 years old in 1912. But then mm-hmm. it lives another 70 years, <laughs> so it must be 140 <laughs> years or so, right? So, uh-huh. so
3: uh-huh.
4: now that in itself isn't so bad. The real problem is that if entropy does its usual work, then the watch is going to be, you know, tarnished and, right. you know, yes. have also, it's going to have aged between 1912. Yes. 1982.
0: Shouldn't it just like almost instantly vaporize because it will age <laughs> infinitely as it's working its way through time?
4: Yeah. No, but That's see, John, like, no, no, you're again have. thinking that things are going to go round and around and round It's around going cyclically, it but, but it.
0: for the watch, the watch does do it over and
4: over. That's the one no, that breaks just my once. brain. Each event <laughs> just Each once. event on the loop occurs exactly right. once, right? Okay. So, so what's true is you can't <laughs> assign a consistent absolute age to the watch. That's mm-hmm. true but it doesn't mean no. that it goes around and around and around. But the, okay. the problem is just this. If it tarnishes uh, from, you know, 1912 to, uh, say, 1982, mm-hmm. right. then, then when he takes it back, right. it's tarnished. tarnished sure. But it wasn't tarnished, right? So, right but it wasn't. So no. I call this the restoration problem. For the story hmm. to be consistent, the watch has mm-hmm. to be in 1912 exactly as it was in 1912. So if there's normal entropy for 70 years, the net effect of that has to be net undone somehow, right, Mm -hmm. for the story to be consistent. Right. Now, um, a guy at uh, University of New Hampshire, Paul Nahin, wrote in his book Time Machines, he said, oh, this is just a special case of the grandfather paradox. You know, to solve the problem, you just have to have Christopher Reeve, you know, polish up the watch or something like that, right? (laughs) (laughs) But that isn't going to work because... Oxidation, of course, is the buildup of, <laughs> you know, you've got the, the surface uh, metal that's oxidizing, mm-hmm. and when you polish mm-hmm. it, you rub those away, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So if you now, you know, think about that, well, now you have fewer atoms of the metal <laughs> in 1912 than you have in 1912, so you mm-hmm. still have a contradiction. So that's the <sighs> restoration problem, right? Right. And so mm-hmm. there are basically only three ways to solve it, um, one way to solve it was to would be to suppose that there's some kind of suspension of, of entropy right so mm-hmm. somehow or other the watch is in some magic bubble where it simply doesn't change around the loop. um that's mm-hmm. unphysical, though. So i don't like that um mm-hmm. another possibility is entropy is normal from 1912 to 1982 and it somehow gets reversed in the journey back into the past
2: mm-hmm. right
1: right oh. but that doesn't happen for him though
4: that would right. mean you get younger as you go right. right. back in right. time.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: right,
4: yeah. Yeah. No, you're going to get older as you go back in time. So I don't like that either, and that's suspiciously mm-hmm. physical as well. So my own solution to this is what I call the uh, replacement solution. Oh. Here's, bear with me. Um, uh, I'll explain <laughs> it. But <it's> Whenever
1: a, <laughs> a, 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 a philosopher says bear with me,
4: prepare, prepare <laughs> to feel dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so a watch has replaceable parts. Yep. So imagine a watch whose history over 70 years is such that all its parts have been replaced, right? Okay. One by one, they've broken down or mm. gotten the or whatever, so gotcha. you replace it. Right? Okay. Well, now imagine all that happens in the 70-year period. But what? here's mm. where the trick is. Each time a part is replaced, it's replaced with its younger self.
0: Love it. That's amazing. <laughs> You just made this movie twice as good for me. Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) Wait a second. How is it replaced with its younger self? So let's say the Mm. the minute hand dies. Tell me if I'm wrong here, Doc. The minute hand breaks and they replace it with a new one, which is the same one that just wore out, but it is is earlier self. I just got chills. That's it. This is fantastic. Wow. (laughs) This is an
1: interesting, like, uh, what, Ship of Theseus? What is that? That Yes,
4: yes, good. I like the Theseus example. But it's your own part. This would be like if you set the Ship of Theseus in time and replaced each piece of wood with its young Yeah, so really would
1: always, there's not even then a a metaphysical question about itself. Right,
4: So, so no... So it's not true that you have to suspend or reverse entropy. You can have normal entropy. What it does require is a shit ton of uh, coincidence. Yeah, I was just going to say. (laughs) We're back to that. All right. So, so there's no way that you knowingly can replace that part. Younger self. Uh,
0: That's so cool. You
1: know what? I think a new sort of we could have a new film, time travel film, where the scientist or the philosopher builds a coincidence machine. That's what it is. Get into my coincidence machine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's kind of like though. I think even that. What was it in the the Hitchhikers? What was the machine? That's Hitchhikers. uh, What was the The, the, the probability drive? Drive.
4: Drive. Yeah, yeah, very good. By the way, um, John, you thought that was cool. Now think about yourself now and yourself ten years ago. Okay, right. Your body (laughs) has slowly replaced a whole bunch of parts. Now, of course, mm-hmm. we used to think that all your cells were replaced. Now we think over a 10-year period, some of the, you, the neurons remain the same. But in mm-hmm. fact, your atoms are being replaced underneath, right? So in a one-year period, about 98% of your atoms are recycled, right? So, so, um, so at, the, at the basic level, you are a, a thing whose parts are constantly being replaced, right? And we mm-hmm. ordinarily think mm-hmm. you survive that. Right. Well, sure. um, you're like the watch. And we could, you could exist in a loop, right? Not you, because you have a different origin. But there could be something mm-hmm. very like you, whose existence was entirely a loop. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> I love it. I
1: love it. I, I'm not even convinced this is the John who was on with us last week. Well, it's not.
4: <laughs> By the way, do you, know, do you want to know how I think this all can work? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, in, in, in time travel fiction, what you mainly see uh, what I call either um, embedded time travel mechanisms. Yeah, That's what you see in things like, I think it's what they show in Harry Potter 3, mm. uh, though yeah. it's a bit unclear.
3: The time turner.
4: Yes. Mm-hmm. They definitely use embedded time travel in the time machine, in um, mm-hmm. the movie versions of that, the H.G. Wells story. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yep. And there the idea is, you don't really leave the time stream; you just somehow accelerate you know upstream or or turn around and go back downstream, but you're still right. somehow embedded in the causal fabric of the world. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the least realistic mm. this, mm-hmm. the next idea that you get, and this is a little like you see in Bill and Ted, where they're going through the circuits of time, right This is what I called alternate route time travel, right that's yeah. where um. You're not doing anything unusual in that you're not, as a massive being, traveling faster than the speed of light or anything like that. It's just you're taking a different route through space-time that gets you to, um, you know, a different point. Either faster so that you accelerate into the future faster than you know people have to uh, who's going the normal route, or mm-hmm. if time, uh, if, if space-time is curved in the right way, you can also t- travel into your, into the past by alternate mm-hmm. route. I think that's right. more realistic than embedded time travel. But I think the most realistic notion of time travel will be uh, roughly like Star Trek beaming. That's that's how it'll work. Mm. Mm. So, Don, what we'll do? Uh, mm. Tell me somewhere you'd like to travel to,
0: Time wise, or, or, or geographically? So some, somewhere or so just somewhere.
4: geographically? Some, some when. Uh, somewhere. Oh, so somewhere? somewhere. Uh,
0: I'll, I'll go to I'll go to Sydney. I'm going to go to the Opera Sydney. House. <laughs>
4: all right, all right. Well, all we need in Sydney is a really fancy 3D printer with a receiver. <laughs> and what we oh do really. is we take you, John, we scan you as deeply as it's physically possible to scan you. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. That will kill you because it's a pretty invasive scan. Uh. But the good news is we've got your info, right? So yeah. now we mm-hmm. beam your information to Sydney and then we 3D print up a walking, talking replica. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is actually time travel as well Uh, as space travel. Sure. Because external time has passed while all this process is going on, but mm-hmm. your last moment here and your next moment in Sydney, right, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a discrepancy between your personal time and the external time that's going on.
0: But mm-hmm. I can only travel forward by, the, by that method. Well, no, remember, Hawking
4: to- says there are at least wormholes that go backwards in time mm-hmm. in the quantum foam, right? And if, if you mm-hmm. can send information through wormholes that are tiny, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Now, ah. um, oh, wow. right, so... That's what I meant earlier when I said Hawking's wrong about, you know, the fundamental nature of human beings. So as long as it's possible to send information into the past, we can patiently send as much information as we need to, to Mm. rebuild you in the past, John. So...
0: So oh. if you could distill an entity down into data. But yeah. we need, you
4: need the 3D printers. That's the only thing. Oh my
3: God. <laughs> that makes me think of the Willy Wonka scene, TV with the, you know, when yeah, all yeah, the, yeah, the tossed things. up into yep. little bits. and yeah. Yeah. Right. Now, a lot of
4: philosophers oh. have, have discussed these oh. kind of cases. Where I call the case we just uh, discussed simple beaming. And there the aim seems to be to keep the replica as close as possible to the original. But um, the fact is, I don't think that reflects human nature really well. Right? <laughs> yeah. What do you want to fix, John? We're always trying to change, right? <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm. So a couple of pounds you'd like to get rid of, John? Uh, you know? A bit more yeah, hair? Sure. Taller? Yeah. Right? We fix can a do scar? All who knows, right? Beaming, what, yeah. whatever,
0: whatever's broken. You want yeah. three lungs? Breathe more yep. efficiently? <laughs> Done. Your gills? Patch yeah. them so,
4: in. So the way I think the process will work, I call this Beaming Star. I haven't got a better name for it yet. But so the way Beaming Star would work is, firstly, we're not going to send all your information to the destination, right? No. Just as we don't send, you know, if you take a photograph, we don't send a bitmap image to somewhere else. That file's just way too big. We'll run it through mm-hmm. JPEG or something. And at one twenty fifth compression...
0: <laughs> we're going to see low-res John come out of the opera house. Is- this is multiplicity, where each
4: copy's a little stupid. At 125th compressive, the human eye can't tell the difference between the original bitmap image and the reconstructed uh, JPEG, mm. right? So yep. I think we'll scan you, John. We'll throw away most of the information yeah. in the scan. <laughs> <laughs> we'll I don't need
0: those. Piano lessons, hmm. gone. Don't need those.
4: We'll take serious account of what you would like to be, Right. So we'll have some templates, yeah. you know, for you to, you know, be like going to the hairdresser, right? You can go, oh. yeah, yeah, that's the kind of <laughs> thing I want, yeah. right? Um, wow. And we'll we'll print you up a new body and you'll be interestingly different in various ways, mm-hmm. right? Um, you could be a different gender or sex. You could be a different species even maybe, right? Mm-hmm. So um,
1: some dino DNA in there. Right.
4: <laughs> now, here's the thing. Brundle
0: fly me. Well, help me. Well.
4: <laughs> help me. If we use this process, Beaming Star, then here's what could happen to someone like John. It could be somebody who turns up at a certain time. We don't know where they came from. They turn up because the 3D printer prints them up. They live for a while, undergoing all the usual sorts of changes that normal human beings undergo. And then at some point later, say 10 years or something like that, uh, we We do beaming star on them, but instead of sending them into the future somewhere else on Earth, we send them back to the past.
2: Oh, I see. Mm.
4: And by coincidence, (laughs) we send them back to, (laughs) they're exactly the person who was printed up 10 years earlier.
1: Ah, there you
4: go. So that's Mm. a way of getting a person whose entire existence is a causal loop.
1: Close that loop. Mm. And I Uh, think
4: this example actually proves that you survive beaming. Star, and if you can survive beaming star, then you sure as hell can survive beaming.
2: What well,
4: so this is, this is the way we'll time travel. I, I think I'm too old, I'm gonna miss the boat, but I'm you know, I think my kids are gonna be around for this technology. but oh, it's a great way to travel through space, yeah. Both because so wow. the big problem with space, as the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy says, what's the problem with space, Will?
0: It's big, <laughs> it's mind bogglingly big, <laughs>
4: yeah. It's big, right? Big. It's unbelievably big. Uh-huh. Well, John, we could send your info off into space, yeah. and if sure. there are intelligent civilizations out there, they will have thought of this technology. They'll have mm-hmm. the 3D printers. They can print you up. So you know, hundred yeah. million years from now,
1: gone, oh, Doc. If if there's intelligent species in the universe, they're going to delete this as soon as they get John. <laughs>
4: delete.
1: <laughs> hey, I want to make. Hey. Sure, I want to make sure we squeeze in one more 80s film before oh, we sure, got to sure, say sure. goodbye here. Because it's one, it's one of my favorites uh, in, in, for a particular sequence even in this film that I know that you, you love as well. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Once again, we've got a story that, as you describe, is a consistent single timeline story. In other words, yes. they don't go back to change anything. That's not their goal.
4: No. Right. No, they don't even try.
1: <laughs>
4: they couldn't if they, they wanted to. They are actually yeah. much smarter. They're slackers, but they're much smarter than your typical time travel. Mm. And not only do they not try to change things, but yeah. um, as, as, uh, as Will knows, Um, they actually use the fact that they can time travel to their own advantage. Yeah. And they take the fact that something happened as a reason for them to bring it about rather than as a reason for them to try to stop it from happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my favorite example of this is that first one, which is the keys sequence, right? Yes. That's what I was thinking of. So for two days, you know, my dad keeps asking me, you know, accusing (laughs) me of stealing the keys, you know, it wasn't (laughs) me. it wasn't me. Right. Um, and then there's that great sequence outside the police station, right? Yeah. Let's mm-hmm. let's go back two days to when your dad still had the keys, we'll steal them and we'll put them behind that sign over there, right? Yeah. right. <laughs> there are the keys. And then, you know, their attitude is, well, of course we have to to remember to in the future go back and steal them, <laughs> right? Yes. Because, mm-hmm. right, you know, otherwise it won't happen, right? That's the... <laughs> right. So they just... I think their attitude to time travel is the right attitude to time travel. I think <laughs> that's how sensible time travelers will behave.
0: And to your point, Doc, <laughs> because it's consistent, when the film starts, the keys are always going missing. Before they that's ever, right. yeah. from mm-hmm. their perspective, before they ever take their first trip through time, the keys are already going missing because they've already come back and done the thing they exactly. will be doing shortly.
2: Exactly. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yep. yep. Mm
1: hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of this in the context of what you were just talking about with the, uh, what is the name of the company that I need to trademark as soon as we get off this uh, call again? Beamstar.
2: <laughs> I'm going <gonna train laughs> like to beat you to it. Yes,
1: Beam, yes, uh, something
2: like yeah. that.
4: So
1: how, is, <laughs> how does that fit in with the what you're saying about time travel being more like Bill and Ted?
4: Well, um, what, what I'm talking about with Bill and Ted is the attitude of the time travelers, Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. I see. So, mm-hmm. In nearly every time travel story, even when it's a t- consistent single timeline story, the um, the protagonist is either drunk or confused or, you know, you know they, they're, and they're always fighting against everything that's going on, right? Mm. That's,
2: mm-hmm. Whereas
4: I yes. think the right attitude is philosophical in the old sense, right? Right. If something happened, well, then you should resign yourself to that, right? right?
2: Yes. Right? Sure.
4: So, you know, yeah. that, that's what happened. And every now and again, it'll turn out that, well, why did that happen? Well, it must have been me who did it, because who else would have done it, right? <laughs> yes. And so that mm-hmm. gives you a reason for doing
1: it. Right? I see. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Hey, look, Doc, we appreciate your time today t- talking about all these, uh, talking about such heady things. And I, I want to be honest with you guys, I, I got like maybe 40% of it.
4: But talking <laughs> look, about I can't <laughs> believe I get
1: paid to do this. <laughs> <laughs> but not only using films for us to be able to understand it, but Ultimately, I don't want to even say theoretically, but demonstrating a way in which time travel could be, maybe is, has already happened at some point in, how do you say it, John? Will happen.
4: (laughs) Will have already happened. Will have already happened.
0: happened. (laughs) Learn to conjugate your time travel
1: verbs.
4: Yeah. So
1: thank you. Thank you so much for your time today,
4: Doc. You're most welcome. Uh, I had a great time.
1: I got to tell you guys, look, I studied philosophy, like I've said a number of times now. It does hurt me to think through these things.
3: Oh, Ouch on my brain. And yeah. I don't
1: remember what my grades in philosophy were, but I really had to try to understand things. I'm really into it. <laughs> yeah. I get some of it. And you know, some of these philosophy books and some of the papers written by the by the doc here, they come mm-hmm. with drawings, with uh mm-hmm. diagrams, with uh, you know, logical statements so you can follow around or try to help you because it is hard to wrap your head around some of these things.
3: Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I all need right. all the visual help aids I can get. Yes. <laughs>
1: Do we travel back? All right, look, remember we told you about this? Mm-hmm. If you haven't, travel back in time and like, rate, and review and all that stuff. Yes. Okay.
3: And They've i have already done it,
1: though. Yes. And I can tell you folks who have already supported us on Patreon at some point in the past, <laughs> and now there are supporters today. And maybe one of these did that just now. I, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying now. I mean, that's how hard this is to follow. Including our early adopters, Kathy Burke, Rick Parker, and Karen Flieger and our (laughs) secret of my success level Patreon supporters, John Henderson, Craig Coletta, John Kaminsky, and John Reddick. Hey, baby.
3: And go to patreon.com slash 1980s now because we know you want to hear your voice read out loud.
1: I feel like you do like a Jedi mind trick. (laughs) You've lost the time travel metaphor. Now you just look
0: will you to do this. Here's the message you're looking for.
1: All right. Hey, we, I know this much though. We will talk to you again next time on 1980s Now.
3: Next time.
1: Bye-bye.